Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before and he's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Coming to you live on tape from the lucky 13th floor of a commercial high-rise in beautiful Beverly Hills adjacent California. From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign. This is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, a comic, a writer, and above all else, a dad. His stand-up special father, father, his stand-up special father of the year is available now on Vimeo. Hello and welcome, Josh Wolf. What's going on, man? Thanks for being here. Can I tell you something that I find very interesting? Sure. Right off the bat, which makes- it's about me combing my hair? No. I'm pretty fancy like that. I, I, I did groom. Don't get me started on the shower I took this morning. I was mentioning to him that he's the only radio host that that makes sure his hair is combed. It's anarchy if you don't, <laughs> at a certain point, take a shower for something. True. Mm-hmm. But I will say, here's one thing that already separates you as a radio uh, personality from every other radio personality I have ever sat across from. Most oh, I fucked pe- up the intro? No. Most people, when they do their radio voice- yeah. They go lower. Oh, you, mm-hmm. you go higher. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Most people, when they go, this is my radio voice, you and, hey, everybody. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. So I'll give away a little radio magic. We're pre-taping this, and I don't know how to work the studio that we're in. There's really energetic music that just got happened underneath. It, got so I needed to shout over it. it. We, we just lifted up the curtain a little bit. It's like <laughs> the radio equivalent of green screen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry that I did that. Too. No, that's yeah. cool. That's cool. Uh, see, but I can cut this all out in post. Oh, there you go. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. perfect. <laughs> I, I, now I'm going to, now that we're talking and having a normal conversation, yeah, I yeah. can settle back down. Yeah. Because it gets, baby. you really do it. I catch myself doing it. You luxuriate in because I, I guess the way that you talk on the radio it's just a matter of relaxing your voice and the mm-hmm. more that you do it I, I imagine comics must often have the same thing you get so used to hearing yourself on a microphone this starts to not feel uncomfortable yeah and all of a sudden I'm uh, I'm, I'm like a 1960s starlet well you find also it's so interesting at, at what okay when I'm doing different things how my voice sounds differently uh, and for example, like when I talk to you on the radio, when I talk to you right now, this is not the same voice I use on stage. Nope. As a matter of fact, the voice that I have on stage, and my parents have always said this, and the first time I ever got on stage, I was 15, okay? But they've always, they, they've, they've always, I, when I get on stage, I hang on to my vowels. I always have. Give me an example of that. It makes me sound Southern. Yeah. Oh my God, that's like question number one so, that I have. So it makes me sound Southern. Yeah. So when I'm when I'm doing stand-up, and it always has, always has, I will hang on to my vowels on stage. So on stage, I would say something like vowels. Right. I have learned about you at least three times that you're from Boston. Yes. Because I would never, I, Virginia is about where I would place you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it makes sense. But, but, but when I'm not on stage... It's a different voice, mm-hmm. and it's not on purpose. It's for whatever reason, and whatever my nerves do, or or those nerves that have turned into excitement. I'm sure, actually, at first it was nerves, and now that just is what how I've learned to speak on stage. Well, also you have. I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah. So I don't know even know what it was. Whatever whatever it was, you know, for some people it makes the volume go up. For some people it tightens them. And for whatever it is for me, for whatever reason, I, when I 
as soon as I started, I that's just how I started. I think everybody has like a sort of a character, and nothing makes that plainer than than stand up and performance. Like it's like an avatar, you know, in, in a yeah. video game when you can totally pick everything about the way that you look. Everybody has that inside of them. I I am on the other radio show that I'm on, the Jason Ellis show. I'm just like. I'm offensive and I'm crude and there've really been times where a bunch of crude people in the room are like, dude, pull it back a little bit. Yeah. And I'm not faking it. You know what I mean? I don't go in there going, I'm going to do this thing. It's a piece of me that is, that is naturally who I am on the radio. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, people would be shocked to hang out with me. I'm like Bob Saget, dude. I'm meek. It's like Bob Saget. Right. It, you know, when Bob Saget did Full House, nobody had seen his stand-up before then. I know. So when then he came out and he was doing those pedophile jokes, people were like, <laughs> what the fuck is happening right now? Yeah, well, it added a whole new wrinkle to his uh, to his comedy when you could actually, like, he wasn't talking about, uh, you know, made-up children. You were thinking of the Olsen twins. You were talking about the Olsen twins. But yeah, you know, it's interesting. People have asked me why I chose that voice, why I chose that character, and I that, that character chose me. Yeah, it was always in you. Yeah, that character chose me. And, and you know, it's funny because because of that, I would tell you that Los Angeles is my toughest town to perform in. Lost for me, crowd wise, um, y- y- the reception that I get because I'm really not. I, I'm not one of the cool kids. I'm not. I'm. I'm really. I'm not in that. I'm not in the cool kid group. You're cool kid adjacent. Yeah, I know some of the cool kids. Do you know what I mean? But like, I'm not in the cool kid group, and I don't say this in a. This I, is not me. I understand what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, this is. I'm not boohooing, but but so, it, and I'm not. I'm not hip. I'm not. Do you know what I mean? So, and my, you don't think the whole Chelsea lately thing just kind of permanently put you in a place because you're you're recognizable. You have a look, so it's not just you were on that show. People, even if they can't remember where they know yeah. you from, they know you. Yes, and, and I'll tell you what's interesting is that Chelsea, Chelsea during the time and during the height of it was insanity, and and I feel so lucky to have been part of that because like we. It, when you had no idea what the reach was, yo. When Fergie was nervous to meet me, and I was all I was thinking was, oh, she's nervous. I wonder if she can see my boner. You know what I mean? Like, who's nervous? Um, I, you started to like she backstage. I don't know if she was nervous, but she. I was like, hey, I'm Josh. She was like, I, I know who you are. And I know I what like, you're talking about. And I was like, oh my god. Obviously, she's not nervous to meet me. She's probably sung in front of the queen. But you know what I'm saying. It was a thing for her. Yes. She was excited to see you. Yes. Right, for sure. So that was crazy to me. Um, And at the time, I think that makes you cool. I don't think Chelsea lately ever made you cool in the comedy community. Okay, that that's that's actually a fair point. First of all, I had no idea how many of you. I was not following comedy, and I certainly was not following Chelsea lately at the time. You could not be unaware of it. Yeah. All of you guys, I mean, what are there, like 15 of you that are, that's, uh, I just had, Guy Branham was sitting in the chair where you are like two weeks ago. Well, it's interesting who you put in that 15. I would tell you if I'm going to think about like a core. Yeah. When I think about the core, I always think of the people who wrote on the show, mm-hmm. Lo, uh, Lonnie and Joe Coy. Okay. I'm trying to think if there's anybody outside of... The writers in those two that I mean, and Ben Glee was on a bunch of shows, but I don't think he would have been part of you were on like a hardcore core. 
Well, okay, people. Do you know what I mean? But people whose careers clearly started. moved moved to a different yes. level because of the show. Yes, there's a lot of you, and there hasn't been anything like that in a in a long time. Yeah, I, the only thing I would challenge you to say is equal. Not as many, but the the, the stars that they have made have become bigger. Is uh, Rogan's podcast? Yeah. Oh, wow. I hadn't really thought and, about it like that. I, You're absolutely right. Of I, course, I consider Joe what Joe has done for comedy. Kind of what Chelsea did for it. So no, you're you're absolutely. I just wasn't. Do you I know was what thinking, I mean? I was thinking apples to apples. Has there been a TV show at midnight? Didn't do it. Yeah, you know. But his is a TV show with the fucking numbers that he gets. You're right? right. Of course. Of course. You're right. Yeah. And, and think about who he's spawned. And, and by the way, I'm not saying that these people weren't comics before Joe's podcast. They just were, a new level of recognition. They were comics and fucking great comics. Mm-hmm. But Segura and Bert and Ari and Duncan Trussell, Tony Hinchcliffe, uh, probably Callan and Brendan Schaub. For sure. Uh, Joey Diaz. And now these are all people who sell theaters. Mm-hmm. And, and Tom Segura, you know, one of, one of the biggest comics in the world. But But that's because of Joe. And by the way, I think Joe almost single-handedly started this, we're in a renaissance time of comedy. Uh, some would say, I've heard, I mean, nobody cares about my opinion. Yeah. I've, I've heard some really respected old heads saying this might be the best time ever. Think about how deep, think if you go, think about who's great right now. Right now who's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could list all time, Chappelle is still performing. Chris Rock is still performing. I mean, shit. Ron White. If you go to the comedy store- I mean, you just named that the crazy thing is every single one of the people you've mentioned so far can all be seen pretty regularly at one fucking club. On a Tuesday. Yeah. On a Tuesday. On a Tuesday, a couple of weeks ago at the comedy store, the lineup was crazy. Yeah. Like Burr, Burr pops in. Burr pops in, but like Ron White was on the lineup. Rogan, uh, uh, D'Elia, I forget, fucking Chris D'Elia sure. is a murderer. Mm-hmm. He is a straight up, and he- I just saw the house he bought. B- did you? Oh <laughs> he blows up rooms because, you know, he used to just blow things up with his energy- and his physicality, and he had some jokes, but that was, and now his joke writing is just, yeah. to go along with the likability, mm-hmm. the I don't give a shit, the physicality, and he now he has it all in one, he's a, just a monster. It's got to be tough for those of you out on the road, there are just so many clubs, and there's only so many, more importantly, there's only so many people who are willing to part with dollars to mm-hmm. come out of their house, and I mean, f- fuck. There's only 50 states. Crazy. And you, you're 100% right because you may be in, you, somebody may like you, and they, maybe they found me on Joey Diaz's podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, they're already spending money on Joey's tickets, on Rogan's tickets, on Segura's tickets. So they may still like me, but I don't know if there's money left. So you're 100% right. There's only there's so many good people. It's kind of why you have to really just try to find, especially- you have to find right now the, the the niche of your own. That's right. That's right. I've said it a million times on this show. I'm so fond of the saying, um, it used to be be famous for 15 minutes. Now it's be famous for 15 people. Yes. And if you can find your... That's me. I'm getting a call from oh. Louisiana. Oh, I'm really? I'm sure this is incredibly important. You'll have to excuse <laughs> me. <laughs> Who do you know from Louisiana? I don't know anybody from Louisiana. This is some have nonsense your... phone call. Yeah, the, through the roof. Crazy, right? Yeah. Didn't we... St- 
Wasn't there a law passed or something? What happened? I actually thought that this was one of the rare things that came on Trump's radar, that he's like, that's fucked up. We got to stop that. And everybody's like, fuck. Oh, no, wait. I agree with him on this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy shit. He, I feel he like there's been it. like three things. We're like, no, 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 totally. Yeah, we should totally shut that down. If you're going to be an irrational despot, Do you know what this that is tells a good me? one. You know what that tells me? That that dude does not have enough software on his phone. The president should not be getting... Calls from insurance companies. Maybe his daughter. <laughs> maybe his daughter told. Maybe his daughter told him about it. She I mean, shouldn't be getting it either. Yeah, she's I know. in the White House also. Nobody's immune. <laughs> you know, it's probably the student loan people. They can find anybody. I never had to deal with you. That. Did Thank it? Thank goodness you had. So you went to college. Yeah, I wonder why you sound so surprised. Because you started comedy when you were fifteen and started moving around the country. Of course, it's great, great. Okay, so I, I, um, I only did comedy like three times in high school maybe twice by the way the the fourth time actually third or fourth time i ever did stand up was in college i opened for kennison wow he uh, on his way to san antonio the guy who used to open for him a guy named carl lebeau his dad i think and guys don't wiki me but i think his dad had passed of a had a had hiv and had passed i think that's how he passed um, but Carl had to couldn't do San Antonio. So the road manager was like, who you got in San Antonio? And San Antonio did not have a booming comedy scene. But there just happened to be a comedy competition at a bar called Huey's maybe two weeks before, three weeks before. And I, my college that I went to was near Huey's. And I was like, yeah, I done stand up. My friends were like, you should do it. And the winner of, of the stand up was just, you know, whoever get the most cheers. Which usually means who brought the most friends, because all the bar is trying to do is get people in the bar to buy booze. Well, who do you think brought the most people? You like, seem like a guy who had friends in college. Yeah. Now that I know that you went to college, I can see you yeah. being popular in college. <laughs> <laughs> I, by the way, guys, it's never a good sign when you tell somebody you went to college and they were like, oh, really? No, people always... <laughs> People get touchy about that. Craig, I'm not Craig Robinson is like a is like a, a like a neurosurgeon or something, and I'm like, really? And he's like, what? Are you surprised that I went? Matt to- Eisman was a doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No, he like I think he might still like moonlight and pull ships or something. Yeah. And he's, La- he's Ken Jong in it. And 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 Ken and Ken Jong and Lonnie Lo- Love was uh, I forget, but she had some sort of crazy education also. So you got to? Oh, were you still in the dumb part where you're like? Uh, it, yeah, okay. I mean, it's a big gig, but I got this. Or were you properly terrified? No way was I properly terrified. Mm-hmm. I had so far in my life only performed in front of my friends and my friends. So you know that you're fucking hysterical because I, they laugh every time. And, and my family. I performed in front of my parents when I was 15, you know? Wow. My whole set was about how much they farted. Uh-huh. My whole, because that's all I knew to talk about. It. I didn't know anything else except they they killed the house, you know. So um, the guy called and I said, "Hey, his manager was like, was there a comedy competition?" And they said, "Yeah." And they said, "Who won? Do you think you'd want to open for Sam?" So, oh man, I got to tell you what I wore. Okay, so they call and I'm like, "Yeah, I'll do it." And by the way, I was that was basically right at the time when I was like, "I'm moving to L.A. I got this." Of course. I mean, it's the natural progression in your comedy career. Obviously, I I win a comedy competition. I open for Kinnison. I get my my own TV show. I, that's what happens next. You'll probably be starring in a movie within eighteen months. I mean, it only seems, guys. Mm-hmm. You, if you could have heard what I was saying to people at my school, I'm not going to be, you, be here next year. If you could have heard the laughs from all of his friends and the girls he was fucking. <laughs> okay, so. They're like, do you want to do it? I'm like, yeah. 
course. Now, here's what you need to know about Kennison for me, which is really important. As far and again, you can wiki me if you want, but it's to my knowledge, he was the first guy, like rock and roll comedian. He played at rock clubs. Yeah, no doubt. He wasn't playing at the improv. He was at a rock and roll club with rock fans who were now comedy fans, and there weren't. It wasn't a lot of seats. It was a rock club, right? Yeah, he recorded Wild Thing with like an all-star band yes. of sleaze metal. Yeah. Exactly. Right, yeah. And his and honestly, his voice translated to singing phenomenally. Yeah, all of a sudden you realize that he'd been Axl Rose all along. He, exactly. He was the the first Axl Rose, right. So, I, but I'm like, yeah, I got this. And so I think I'm opening and I'm going to do like seven minutes. Yeah. Seems fair. Sure. I don't really know what that you means. You only got like nine, so why not? Do I have nine the fourth <laughs> time I've been on stage? No, you don't. No. <laughs> I, I did. I had 10 the first time I went up, which means I had about 90 seconds. And after you got off stage, were you like, that wasn't 10, that was actually how many jokes? Uh, do you know what I got? It, it worked out really well. I My first show, I opened for Bert Kreischer at the Irvine Improv. Mm-hmm. And I did I did ten and around eight I went blank and I said there had been some disagreement among the comics backstage as to whether or not I was supposed to say it was my first show or not and I actually didn't know what else to say so I was like guys this is my first show which was me starting to say I don't know what the fuck I'm yeah, talking about yeah, anymore yeah, yeah. and when I said that people applauded and they turned on the house lights and put on music and it was just perfect I was completely saved by the bell around the eight minute mark that, by the way eight minutes. And if you were getting laughs for eight minutes your first time, you are seven minutes and 57 seconds ahead of everybody else. I had the classic, I've heard this story from so many, I'd like to think this is like a story a lot of good comics have, beginner's luck. The first one goes well, and then you're like, oh, okay, and then you just suck dick for two years. Well, the second one is always donkey shit compared to the first one. Yes, yes, that's been my my experience for a couple years now. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a long second trip up there. <laughs> when does the third trip when happen? When does this <laughs> For sure. Yeah, right. man. So you have about you. So, okay. Yeah. So you think you're doing? So now I need to decide what I'm going to wear. Now I have to tell you, this was the early '90s. Okay, I am not a dude who was who grew up with a lot of money. So I didn't have a lot of money to go shop, and I was mixing a match, and you know, yep. from a small southern town. Yeah, exactly, small southern town, <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> so, um, all right. So I, I, what I decide on is I got some, uh, uh, like some black dress shoes. I have some acid wash, uh, jeans, and so they're white. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got one of those. Uh, you know those leather belts that, but they had the silver pointed tip on them. Shit, am I wearing that right now? You know the one I'm talking about. Yes, yes, And I had a blue button down, light blue shirt. How many buttons open? Uh, it was buttoned pretty much up to the top. Maybe one button. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you're, not, so, you're, not, you're not like a square or anything. No, but tucked into the acid wash with the belt. You got to show that belt off. I exactly. I had a mo- black motorcycle jacket over it, a ponytail, and bangs. <laughs> <laughs> so, dude. So, dude. <laughs> First of all, when I walked on stage, already Kinnison's crowd was like, "What the fuck 
is this supposed to be? Just picture what and and I looked probably man, I've always for a long time I looked super 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 young. For a long time. So I was 21 but I was 15. And here I come ponytail and bangs. Sweet face. Got the acid wash jeans with my dress shoes on. Might have been wearing white socks. Not sure. Now, do you remember before you went out on stage if you were still thinking that you had it in the bag or do you, does some creeping doubt start coming in? This is when the doubt started to creep in. Oh. When the guy who uh, booked me was like, hey, so just need you to do like 25. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> right? And I was like, say what? Like, you know, I won the comedy competition with a strong joke and four minutes of saying, who's going to win this bitch? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I I don't know if everybody listening to this, his hands are as clammy as mine are right now. Dude, it it was. So I walked on stage. When he said 25, did did you just go, yeah, cool? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you, tell you another story about, and that'll make sense to you why I said that. Okay. So, but I'll tell you afterwards. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I'm like, okay. And he's like, so you got it. I'm like, he said, we could do Maybe you could get away with 20, but 20, 25. And I'm like, got it. So as I'm going out there, I'm like, all right, it's crowd work. And so I was like, what, how much is the first guy doing? Cause I thought maybe he, we get, he goes, you're also the first guy. And I was like, so I got to walk on. No, what? no host to introduce you. No, host, just yeah. voice of God. And the voice of God goes. And it's just a loud Kinnison crowd. So it's not like, hey, quiet down, everybody. Come to the stage right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like a tension. They flicked the lights, kind of a murmur. Josh Wolf. And out walks this guy in front of Kinnison's crowd. And as I'm walking to the mic, the murmur is not friendly. Let me tell you how bad it got. At three minutes in, when I was done with my material... Because that's the thing, you go faster. Right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And especially when there's no laughs, you go real fast. Yes, you do. Because you're like, no silence, no silence, no silence. At about three minutes in, when I'm out of material, they started in on me. Now, I would tell you this. The mercy part of it is, is that by about eight minutes, they were done talking to me, and they just started talking to each other. Yeah, I've been, yeah. So- I'm still, I circle back because I see some new people walking in and I tell them, hey, you guys missed the beginning of the show. Let me tell you what those jokes were. So I redo them. It's under the circumstances, <laughs> not the worst idea. I, ha- I, here's when I knew I wanted to be a comic. I walked off. That was a terrible yeah, that's a twenty about, minutes. That's a, you did make it to twenty. Made it to twenty. They just let you and what is he gonna do? You know what I mean? He didn't care. He wasn't listening. Nobody was listening. Oh, so you had that going for you? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Nobody was listening. Um, and I and here's how I know nobody was listening. So, but by the way, when I get off stage and my girl, I had brought my girlfriend who was dating at the time. She was back there, and I look at her and she goes, because uh, we wanted to make sure he's Kennison signed a poster. Mm-hmm. And she looks at me and she was like. He's not signing that fucking poster now. <laughs> it's so funny, right? Bill Kennison was his manager. And this is how I knew that they didn't watch the first show. Because after the first show, Bill said to me, 
hey, you might need to stretch it a little bit, this second show. Because Sam was a little fucked up. Uh-huh. You mean to stretch it a little bit. And I was like, I was thinking to myself, did, did you see how the first show went? Stretch what? Do you know what I mean? Like, do you want me to do my material three times? Maybe is you it, should. Yeah, do accents. Oh, I did my material when I knew how bad the first show went. Uh-huh. And I knew the second show later, drunker. Of course. Got to be worse. Yes. It was almost easier. It's liberating. It was almost easier. But when I, he, when I looked to the side of the stage and he made the stretch sign, I just jumped right back into my material. <laughs> <laughs> it was so bad. But you know, okay. But this is my M.O. for this shit. Mm -hmm. After college, I was, I was, this girl, actually. Same one. It was the worst breakup I've ever had. I go back up to live with my parents in upstate New York. And I decide, fuck it, I'm going to learn how to play guitar. That's how I'm going to sing some songs to myself. That's how you get over this? Yeah. Just, this is going to be my therapy. I'm yeah. going to learn some Cat Stevens. Yeah. I'm, you you I, know what I mean? I, I remember that. Yeah, I went, I, I, in that same situation, I, I went to Santa Barbara for a summer and listened to Roy Orbison singing It's Over on a Loop. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. I was singing myself, right? Yeah. I was giving my own singing therapy. So maybe by the end of the three months, I've learned GCD because that's basically what up upstairs in my room doing, GCD. I go to this bar and- um. There's a stage. You ever seen those bars where there's a stage inside where they serve the liquor? You know what I mean? An elevated stage, like where somebody might play or tell jokes. Uh, inside yeah. the actual bar. No, I know what area. you mean. If it's like a, if it's like an island bar kind of thing, they could have that. Right. Yeah, you would see that at like the Hard Rock or like a strip club. Right. So this, <laughs> that's a good for the people listening. That's yeah. a perfect right. So this, they had one of those stages back there, and a stool. And I was thinking stand up, and I go, Hey man, what do you do up there? He goes, well, we do happy hour. We do some acoustic guitar. I go, oh, that's cool. And he said, yeah, but unfortunately our guy just left, so we don't have anybody. And I was looking at it, and I wanted to get the fuck out of my parents' house. I I, I was moving to Seattle where I started doing stand-up. Yeah, I want to ask you about that. With Joey Diaz and Brody Stevens is who I started with. Oh, no shit. Okay. So we, I, I just want to get the fuck out of there, and I'm not making enough money. So I go, oh, yeah? And I know GCD. It's a lot of songs. I think so. Now, this is pre-internet where I can just Google what's GCD. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So it's a little different. Right. And so I, I said- Let's to, stay to heaven. GCD, I got this. Yeah, I can handle that. Right. So I said to the guy, I go, uh, how much? And he goes, it's 250 bucks. And I go, how many hours? He goes, two hours. I go, I could do that. I'll take that gig right now. Yeah, I go, I could do that. And he was like, you can do that? And I go, yeah. And he goes, when can you start? And I was like, okay, I kind of know GCD. This is how long it took me three months to learn that. I kind of know a couple of songs. Um, what, what, how long do I think it'll take me to master two hours? And if not even master, at least have a song book or something that I can, you know? And I said, give me three weeks. And he was like, cool. So I start to practice. And I come up, I think, with six songs. And I learned how to play Freebird and f- five other real basic songs yeah freebird goes on forever you're you're halfway home and then i figure two hours i'll start five minutes late i'll end five minutes early and i'll just do my stories in between songs so i'll really do like an hour of stories in an hour 50 minutes after starting early and ending starting late and ending early makes sense to me 50 minutes of songs hour of stories so for me i'm really doing what i want to do which is tell stories you know and so i get up there and I, and I have my song sheets and stuff. Not like I can read music. It just tells me, right? And so the guy, I walk up, he goes, hey, man, 
clean stage, no no paper. And I said, what? He goes, clean stage. We don't put a stand up there or anything. Clean stage. You, Mike, stool. He was like, is that going to be a problem? And I knew like six songs. So I'm like, well, I'll just stretch the stories. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'll start a song and I'll get into a story and then I'll start and then I'll get into the yeah, story. Yeah, Bruce Springsteen and I'll just linger on the on the, Ex- on the the D. Exactly, dude. And, and honestly- like, little town session with Jay-Z. <laughs> My dad used to tell me. Exactly. <laughs> Got a town and make a big man feel pretty small. Got my harmonica. Yeah, man, that I don't know how to play. Right. Like, I get it all. And he goes, yes. And I, so, I say to, good evening, everybody. My name's Josh Wolf. I said, you know, it's a funny story how I got to be up here. And the guy says to me, hey, just music. No talking, just music. <sighs> he goes, just, you're like background music, man. No talking, just music. And I was like, okay. Now, I got six songs. And I got two hours. You kind of have six songs, right? Barely. Right. Because if Freebird is G, D, E, ma- e minor, minor, E guess, minor, right. F, C, D. Again. Oh, that F's going to be a problem. So I just went C, C, D. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> See, I play guitar. I know exactly so where you're, you're going wrong so here. funny when you were to the F is a major problem because I got to push two strings down at the same time with one finger. Yeah, even the little baby F is not so easy. That's when the you're baby a kid. F. That's what. That's the one I do. By the way, that's the one I still do is the baby. F. Okay. <laughs> yeah, the man F is, but the the baby F that's like a retarded C. Yeah, I, I shouldn't it. say retarded, but it is. But it is right. Yeah. So um, I started, <laughs> and I start with Freebird. Now I'm background music. So, whatever. And I think I had a, J- a Jimmy Buffett song, I think. Uh, you know what I mean? I think I had I think I had a Buffett song. I think I can picture the set list. Y- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there might have been peaceful, easy feeling in that. Mm-hmm. It was a G, D, G, D, A, D. I'm not going to be shocked if you mix in an Eagle song yeah, at some yeah, point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think peaceful, easy feeling was in there, right? Yeah. Uh, so, um, so uh, I start. Mm-hmm. And I do the first six songs. And then I just look around and I start on Freebird again. Sure. Okay. Now, in the middle of the second six songs, this is the best part. People are, the first six, you know, they're not really paying attention. And the second six, they they start, I can see them start to look at each other like, did we just hear the song? Or maybe that's just such a popular song. We've heard it before, right? I, I do the second six again and I fucking start on Freebird. And that's when people start looking up at me. Yeah. And I, the the guy who hired me, the guy at the bar, looks up at me like this, and I just I just shrug my shoulders at him, and he goes, "Whatever." And I just did the six again. I've done the six three times now. I don't know that I'm at a half an hour, maybe forty minutes. Mike, Mike, maybe. Yes. Half an hour, maybe. Time is very, very relative, depending on the situation. Yeah. yeah, a fifteen-minute song could easily take four minutes oh when, when you need it. When you need it to take twenty-five. <laughs> but it started to get funny, even yeah. to the people in right. the. It started to get funny. <laughs> yeah, because I, and then I started because I wanted to. I was like, "Fuck this, dude! I got to say something." I go, "Hey, anybody got any requests?" And some guy goes, "Freebird." I'm like, "You got it." I must have played Freebird twenty times. That's so great. Twenty times. Yeah, it's the third time through that that people. <laughs> I was in a McDonald's one time yeah. in Venice, in it, not in California, in Italy, because we got it. Me and my buddy took a train, and and um, it was the only place that was open. Because you know, I've heard they've got the best food, and the best food in Venice is obviously at the McDonald's. Clearly, and I think it was the third time through the employees 
playing Sex Bomb by Tom Jones that we got the hint that they wanted us to get the fuck out of there. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the first time you're like, oh, oh well, here's Tom Jones, still pretty big in Venice. Yeah. <laughs> Glad the guy's making a living. <laughs> yeah, well. So I wanted to ask you, you know what, though? It's really, really good because what you have been through, you just have to make that slog. You have to endure when everything goes wrong and there's nowhere else to run. And frankly, that is something that I've been able to juke and jive and avoid that in stand-up so far. And I know that I'm not really, I don't really have my my man skills up there until (laughs) shit goes wrong and nobody is going to just pull you off stage three minutes later. I had a private party that I was paid to do. And um, private parties, it was for orthodontists. Hilarious and, people. Yes. By nature. And uh, and so we're at a convention center in Dallas. We're the Dallas Cowboys train. It's this beautiful compound. And I'm like, let's go downstairs and take a look at the theater. He goes, no, we're doing it across the street at the bar. And I was like, hey, man, so I know you said you're going to book your event there. You told the bar. Most bars aren't set up for comedy or live live entertainment. And he was like, no, it's going to be fine. We went over there. It's a big place. Well, first of all, mistake number one, it was an L-shaped bar. So not great for a party of people that are coming to look, because where are you going to put the person? And the L-shape, the part of the L where everybody could see was the door to the outside. So you couldn't perform there. One side of the L was a bar, and the other side was just like Applebee's tables that you couldn't move. So they set me up a makeshift uh, stage that was probably whatever that is, eight inches off the ground. And um, I tell my wife that's I was going to say, <laughs> I don't want to pick on you. Your fingers, were, your, eight inches. your fingers were at most four inches Yeah, that apart. wasn't eight inches. That's what it is. All right. As soon as I did that, I'm like, that's not fucking eight inches. So, uh, so now, not only can only half the people see me, but we have a Radio Shack we have a, we don't have, it's not going over the speakers. They brought a speaker. A speaker. Yeah. Well, the sound goes up and the guy looks at me and he goes, Hey man, you've really tried. We put you in terrible circumstances. You don't have to do this. And I'll tell you what, for me, if this happened every weekend, I'd be mad. But for me, I was like, no man, I just want to see if I can do this. So I had them get in a circle and I, I stood in the middle of the circle on the floor of the bar without a microphone and did comedy in the round on the floor with about 150 people surrounding me. And now I would not want to do that every weekend or ever again. Yeah. But you are a hundred percent right for me. Um, every time I do something like that and, and conquer it, I'm more confident the next time I step on the stage, even at a regular club, because I'm like, nothing can happen right. that I haven't done that I haven't done yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sam Tripoli tells a great story of getting hired to go on a bus. He was, it was, it was some professionals were going to some convention and they hired him to do comedy on the bus from wherever they lived yeah. to, I think, Las Vegas. And it's very difficult. Brutal. To do comedy on a, and at a certain point, and I think this is liberating, nobody gives a shit about his stuff. So he just starts ripping off his friend's acts Hilarious. wholesale. Yeah. And nobody gives a shit about that. And and I think that has to make you feel a little better, that yeah. it's not my jokes. Nobody can win here. But then they're just like, we should let, you know, Bill from accounting get up. He's funny. And Bill from accounting starts killing, just roasting the bus. Hilarious. And Sam just has to sit there and wait till and they get wait to Las for Bill to accounting. <laughs> I had two women hire me to do a, a Christmas party for their art, for the art gallery. Mm-hmm. 
and I thought it was going to be for all the clients and everything. Turns out it was just for the two women at the art gallery. And they sat down and put some cheese on a plate and sat on a couch and said, whenever you're ready. Oh, awesome. This is Maria Bamford special. Is that, that she, true? Well, she did it for in her parents' living room just for her parents. Oh, this was just for these two people. Uh-huh. And it I was- I would assume there was a sexual element to- It did not, because I ended up sitting down on the couch with them, and I was like, do I have to stand? Mm-hmm. Like, can't we just swap stories, ask me questions, whatever you want? And that yeah. was what it- Right. And how about this? I brought my friend to open for me. <laughs> so he went up first. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I just have to do about do about twenty, stretch to twenty five. When, when when they told us what the deal was, I was like, "Hey man, just do like two. Let's yeah. get the fuck out of here for sure." Yeah. I, w- I wanted to ask you about Seattle. So you were in Seattle in that was properly the grunge era, the grunge yeah. heyday, right? Now, yep. I don't know how to phrase this. It wasn't really like that, was it? Like the way that we like the way singles would have us believe that everybody had like hair in their librette and was like telling you how awesome their espresso was while they shot up. Well, I, I will tell you that th- everyone was dressed like Matt Dillon, including that, that, yeah. including me. Well, like you're only you're only human. Everyone was dressed like, and I had hair down the middle of my back, mm-hmm. and that I pulled through the hole in my hat, and I wore flannel on top of flannel with flannel. Wow, that's very chilly there. I had sleeveless flannels that I wore in the summer. <laughs> would you say, would you say, this is, sounds like a joke, but I, I don't mean it as one. Would you say that you can't help but be you know, influenced by your surroundings, that your comedy became somewhat like grunge tinged? No, I've never been. Well, that's interesting. I was about to, I would say I was about to say I've never been an edgy comic, but I don't think that's true. You know, did you have bits about how everything sucks? No, I didn't have bits about <laughs> everything sucks, but I did. I, I did go in harder on people before I had kids. Oh, explain that. It just when I when I had kids, my for whatever reason my store my comedy turned to storytelling. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was was the shift in me, but. Before, I would think of things, I would go in on people, I tried to push the envelope a bunch, and for whatever reason, when I, when I, well, I actually know why it started. It started because I wasn't, I I was a single dad, I was raising three kids, I was living in one room, I made a thousand dollars a month here in Hollywood, and um, I didn't have enough money for therapy. So I wasn't into writing jokes, I needed to go on stage and just her just uh, vomit <laughs> everything that had happened to me that day. So my therapy turned into my comedy and I just found myself telling story after story after story and all that other stuff that I used to write jokes about or think were important just kind of dropped away. And so now, you know, my act, if you see me on the road right now, my act is three stories. It's an hour, three stories. It's really interesting how often that seems to happen in stand up where somebody builds like a thing that works. <clears throat> Excuse me. You're a comic. You get up on stage. Everybody goes, yeah, that's it. That guy's pretty funny or, or what, you know, nobody calls bullshit. And it's this facade. It's this construct. And then at a certain point, the real you kind of feels safe Has enough to. To, to, to burst out of that. And, and, and you know, uh, Christopher Titus told me on this show, his story was, I think his wife like broke up with him by text in between a first show and a second show on the yeah. road. And so you, and he was touring. He was touring, <clears throat> but it was only then that Look he actually- Dane. Look at Dane. Dane. Dane's comedy has changed. It's 180 degrees pre the death of his parents to post. Interesting. He's, he, 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 you know, he's so much more personal and doesn't give a fuck on stage. And I'm not saying this because I'm a, like, he and I are buddies. We're not buddies or anything like yeah. that. But like, 
um, you know, for people to still go use use him as a punchline, they haven't given his new material a chance. Okay. I, you know, I have not, so I'll, yeah, yeah, I'll yeah, have yeah. to do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, your special is Father of the Year. It's uh, available on Vimeo. I love... I mean, just such unexpected depth. No offense to your dad. I've never met your dad. Yeah. Right from the outset, you call him for advice, and he says, I'm going to quote, your special is going to rise or fall on who you are, not who you pretend to be. Yeah. That's a fucking fortune cookie. Yeah, dude. Yeah. And my reaction on the video was, whoa. Right. Yeah. Rightly. Because, because he said something to me that, I remember not not figuring out quite as eloquently or succinctly, but I remember when I figured that out in my head, like, yeah, who am I pretending to be on stage? Because the audience doesn't know what they don't like. They don't know, oh, he's pretending. But they, when you watch somebody who's, I'll give you a great example of, you know who Joey Diaz is? <clears throat> sure. Okay. You know, he, when people see him, they're not generally offended, even though he's saying some crazy shit. Mm-hmm. Because it's so truthful to who he is. Yeah, you're not this dude. He's not shocking you. He's he's not saying that stuff to shock you. It's what he talks about. It's what he believes. And there, are, I'm sure, some people who say things that aren't even quite as whoa. And you're like, that's fucking what? Because it just comes across as you're trying to say something to me to get an effect. Mm-hmm. And so, like, whenever you find who that is for you on stage. That truth is just more appealing to people. Yeah, I, I uh, I'm from very very close to the place in New Jersey where Joey Diaz is from. I'm sure you can tell by the accent. Yeah, yeah. And uh, is that from Virginia? Are we from the same place? <laughs> I think we might have. <laughs> outside outside of Richmond. It's really into Dave Matthews. <laughs> I saw him before they blew up, dude. Fucking sick. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, that guy is, they're becoming an endangered species. I think the world is becoming a lot more like homogenous and every town is the yeah. same. And, and maybe there used to be, you know, maybe 80% of his, I don't know if he's from Bayonne, New Jersey or Union, New Jersey, but I know, I know exactly where he's from. And, and that's an authentic, that's an authentic thing. And if you're going to get angry at that, you're basically getting angry at a whole community that's been functioning just fine yes. this whole time. And I would tell you this, and I bet you that you know people like this too who say every racial epitaph under the sun, swear nonstop, just say filthy things, say things about Jews, say things about Mexicans, say things about gay people. And I bet you both of us would be like, yeah, they're not racist at all. It's just how they talk. Well, I don't, I mean, not probably live pretty near Culver City. Yeah. So those people are yeah, kind of hard to come too. by. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean in Jersey. Oh, in Jersey. Oh, yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I have friends well, it's of mine. Hard, it's hard when I bring uh, people that I've met. Well, let's say people I've married. Yeah. And I bring them back <laughs> yeah. to. Yeah. And, and you have to go, I duly noted, know where you're coming from. Just Not know. cool. Yeah. Not right. But. Yeah. I, they don't mean anything by it. It's, mm-hmm. it's so hard to explain. I had a friend of mine that I, I went to uh, school with and I brought him home for dinner once. And one of my brothers has only ever dated uh, uh, black girls. And my, my friend, I can't say it out loud what he said, but he said something innocently. And I just can't say it because it's, it'd be, I don't, it's probably not a good idea, but sure. But he said it innocently. It wasn't the N word, but it was just something else. And I go, Hey man, don't say that at dinner. He goes, what? I'm really, I'm super curious. And I was like, yeah, don't. 
I go, you can be curious, but like, <laughs> take your curiosity <laughs> elsewhere. Curiosity is not going to kill the cat. It's going to kill me and you. Yeah. So let's, but, but I, though there are a ton of dudes, Joey uses language that I would, words I would never use. And I'll tell you something right now. There isn't a prejudice bone in that dude's body. No. Well, I think that's the other thing too, is I think he's obviously uh, a sweetheart. Yeah. I think what the point that you were getting at, it's true. People can, people can smell authenticity yeah Yeah. and i think it's really interesting i see it in comedy i you know i'm a a failed musician i used to see it all the time in in rock where you go to a music festival and you'll even see it where the band comes out and they got their little costume on and they got their little shtick and you're like yeah yeah that's fine and then the next band comes out and they've been on the road for like three or four years and they actually really have herpes you know yeah they don't just sing about it yeah and you're just like oh this is yeah okay this is and then somebody comes out after them and you're like oh and finally it's Motley Crue, who basically come out with an IV yeah. <laughs> and a positive <laughs> and AIDS like, test, yeah! and you're just like, this is you can you, you people. I don't think you got to be pretty shitty for somebody to go. You're lying. That is inauthentic. But they sense it because they can certainly sense the opposite. You can also be a, a skilled technician and not be personal. Like you know who a good example? What's his name? Uh, Joe Bonamassa, Bonamosa, Bonamassa, the guitar player, guitar player. Maybe one of the most. Skilled guitar players of all time, but I would I would take a Stevie Ray or even now like a Chris Stapleton. I can feel every note yep. he's playing, mm-hmm. and the other guy just seems like a dude who can play. Stevie Vai can play anything. Right, I just get bored listening to it. It's just too perfect. Does that right. make sense? Of course, of course, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned you're um, way further along in the parenting thing than I am. I got like a seven-year-old and a, a, a newborn. Yeah. You mentioned in your special father of the year entitled children and how we all have some blood on our hands because we are the ones who, who made them entitled. And I'm so fascinated by this question because it's tr- to what extent or another. It's true. We can argue, but it's true. It's different. Something changed and we changed. We weren't raised this way. What happened? happened to all of us that made us arrive at this conclusion that we were supposed to because i've already ruined my my son seven he's it's too late for him yeah what can i do differently with a, a four-month-old daughter to not do that to her it's so interesting you know my dad said something to me very it was such a subtle change um that really was like oh yeah so he was over once and i said to my son hey you want some broccoli and after dinner my dad goes Hey, you asked too many questions. I said, what does that mean? He goes, did you make broccoli? And I was like, yeah. He goes, that's what he eats. It's not, do you want to go to the park? Mm-hmm. We're going to the park. You're, you're inviting them to the table for the conversation, which means they're equal to you. They have equal parts in this conversation. Yeah. So when you say something to them in the future and they talk back, that's because you have allowed them to do that. And he said, I'm not saying you should raise them the way we were raised, that our kids shouldn't be heard, but you're allowing them to be equal in this. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's not, do you want broccoli? We're making broccoli. I catch that with my wife, who's she's, I'm not just saying this, an amazing mom, but it's so many times it's, um, uh, we're going to the store. Okay. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's the one. I've just heard that, that, that sentence, that formulation so many times. The okay is the bit that, that we don't need to be doing. But why did we, like, why did we all do this? Because. And And we all know that what we're doing is wrong. Because. We are rebelling against 
you know, at the end of the day, you rebel against your parents, right? Right. So when you're growing up, I'm not going to do that. There's no way when I'm growing up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be. And we're so concerned with being kids' friends. It's so dumb. Right. Because I want to tell you. But you are, but you're really good friends with your kids. But I want to tell you, I have adult kids, mm-hmm. but I will tell you something right now. You, as they get older, you know what you realize? As close as you thought as you were with your kids, you're not. As close as you thought you were. Because everybody's breaking like, my heart. I have, you know, we were just talking something? about how you can sort of smell authenticity. Yeah. Something about Listen. that just cut to the bone. <laughs> because everybody's like, i got such a great relationship with my kids. Yep. And they have a closet full of shit that they've done and do that you don't know about. No, not my kid. Yes, your kid, my kid, and everybody else's fucking kid. Okay, but what are we talking about here? Because I, th- that I agree with. I've always said that. I think I'm almost trying to get ahead of it and preemptively steal myself for I aggressively courted death when I was a teenager. My kid yes. is going to make moronic decisions that some of them will probably involve automobiles if they're not all driving themselves. By then, my kid will um, get in <laughs> ill-advised sexual situations. Boy or girl. Well, no, I both, but I'm speaking of my Boy, of, of, yes. of my son. Yes. All of these things are true, and I'm also prepared for, I'm actually looking forward to, I got about, in my mind, about about 14 to 24, which is the, the fuck you, dad, leave me alone. Yeah. I got plans for those years, so I'm not really worried about that, but oh, wow. I do think that when he comes back around 24, 25 and realizes I wasn't all bad, yeah. that I'm not, the fact that I he has some weird sex fetish that I never would have expected from him to me doesn't change the fact I got really good friends who have weird sex fetishes yeah, it doesn't yeah, change yeah, anything yeah, yeah. that we can still be yeah. like you know I didn't do anything horrible to you you've been out in the world now to see what happens to some kids you know that didn't happen to you here we're cool we can fucking throw around a football yeah, I you mean, can watch the NBA and talk about how bald LeBron James is. Yeah, I mean, listen, he may be still be playing by the time your kid. <laughs> That's Who true. He probably knows. probably won't have shaved his head it's either. Crazy. <laughs> Why? How does he look younger now than he was when he was a senior in high school? When he when he was a senior, I'm like, that dude's sixty. What are you <laughs> fucking talking about? That's R. Kelly. Yeah, That's what we all said. He's R. Kelly. <laughs> listen, I who let th- R. Kelly play with children <laughs> again? <laughs> I think that. I don't know what your question was in that. I'm not entirely sure there was one. But but here's what I think. I think that when you, at the end of the day, if you love your kids, they're going to come back and thank you. Um, And for every positive, there is an equal and negative, an equal uh, amount negative. So if you're like, hey, this kid is so structured. Look, she does this, she does this, she's ready for this. But guess what? When something bumps that structure, that kid is not prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at that kid. He's so loosey-goosey. He can be in any room. He goes with the flow. He can't sit still in class. Uh, yes. So so uh, when I hear parents beat themselves up for shit, I think it's so dumb. If you're reading parenting books, hey, they did it for millions of years without it. You are getting one person's opinion about when something is supposed to happen. And if it doesn't happen when the book says it's supposed to happen, it's geared to make you feel bad. I think a lot of people forget uh, that completely overthinking it and stressing about it can also have a deleterious effect on your kid. I think deleterious is a word. I yeah, it's, I think he played for the Cavaliers. Is <laughs> <laughs> he the one that fucked LeBron's mom? I think... <laughs> Uh, we gotta go we're out of time thank you you are at Josh Wolf Comedy I downloaded your special father of the year and I recommend everybody else do the same at comedianjoshwolf.com thank you Josh thank you and by the way thank you for coming on Control Chaos you guys were great we're gonna have you back on I'll be there alright 